All right, Matthew chapter 5 tonight. Matthew chapter 5. Really fired up about this particular message. My mind has been blown again by the Scriptures. And uh, folks, I'm telling you, uh, we're not just... I'm not just finding stuff or, or like just throwing stuff in here, okay? I mean, these are things that... It's like it's kind of like Jesus in the wilderness. Without, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that was a repeat of Israel in the wilderness from before. There's no doubt about that. We have Jesus, or we have Israel that came out of Egypt. We have Jesus coming out of Egypt. That's specifically mentioned in Matthew. Out of Egypt have I called my son. Jesus came out of Egypt like Israel came out of Egypt. Jesus was baptized. Like Israel was baptized in the Red Sea. That's spelled out in the Scriptures. Israel was tempted in the wilderness and failed, just like Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, but Jesus succeeded. Now, we are at the Sermon on the Mount, and you know what we're going to see here? And I want you to think about this as we start going through this. I'm going to go through some of the chapter before I show you. But, we are seeing another repeat of something from the Old Testament with Israel in the wilderness. We are seeing another repeat. This, I'm telling you, the Gospel of Matthew is a retelling of the story of Israel, except with Jesus as the main character this time, instead of Israel. And it's all, the, the outcome is completely different when we have Jesus. That is what we are about to see in this Sermon on the Mount. So I say all that for intro to get you paying attention, uh, because you've all heard tons of preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. I've done tons of preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, but... I'm going to show you some things from here that, I, that blew my mind. Right? I'm not trying. I don't want to oversell or anything like that. But I, I, my mind was blown by studying. I just I couldn't believe this, and it's just got me more excited for the rest of the book. It, it's got. I'm just as I read the book, I'm th- I'm thinking. I'm keeping that in mind. This is a retelling of the story of Israel with Jesus as the main character, and I, I'm anxious to see what else we we find. But uh, this Sermon on the Mount, as it's known, is chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's probably one of the most preached from passages in all the Bible. There probably isn't one verse in these next three chapters that many preachers have probably sp- preached entire sermons just from one verse. Many series have been preached from this. In fact, the first series I ever preached um, at Liberty Baptist Church was from the Sermon on the Mount. And so to preach this chapter one night, it does... It's, it, in many ways, it's a major injustice because I'm not going to have time to go in depth on each one of these points Jesus makes in this sermon. So we could preach a sermon just on every verse. But I want to deal with a couple of very, very important things. One, what exactly was happening when Jesus is preaching this sermon? So far, we have seen and I showed that everything that the gospel writers wrote about, they wrote about it for a reason. The obvious, John said the books can't contain all the things, just that Jesus did after his resurrection. But the things that he, they wrote about, they were written for a reason. And when we understand this isn't just random stories just because this is what happened. No, they are telling these things for a reason. And when we pay attention to that, it really can help us a lot. But then also, too, so what exactly is happening when Jesus preached this? And then, two, how do we apply it today? Because there's many difficult things Jesus preaches in this sermon. And often, people will try explaining things away. And some people even claim 
this sermon is based on the Old Testament economy. Dispensationalism will make you miss everything in the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. But there are there's some that teach this sermon is for New Testament Christians. Uh, but then there are those who believe that what's being taught here are kingdom principles that's for the Jews in the future, is what some people will say. Because we're going to see some hard things in here. And anytime we see hard things, the dispensational crowd always says, well, that's for the Jews. Like when you see tribulation, him, you know, Antichrist making war with the saints, well, that's the Jews. Because, you know, Christians, we all have sunshine and roses and no problems in their world. But that's ridiculous. But confusion often comes because we think the law, we think of the law as being difficult, while the New Testament, we think of it as being easier. But it would appear Jesus is preaching something to these people that's even more difficult than the law. And so how do we reconcile this with the idea that things are easier under the new covenant, yet at the same time, and teach a higher standard? Okay, you know, how do we reconcile a higher standard with Christian liberty as well? And hopefully by the end of this, not only will you know the interpretation of the Sermon on the Mount, but you will also know how to make proper application. Every passage only has one interpretation, but it can have many applications. And so I want us to know the interpretation so we can make proper application. And so we're going uh, so we're going to see more evidence too. The Gospel of Matthew is a retelling of the story of Israel with a better outcome with Jesus. And so let's go ahead and do some reading now and then figure out see if we can figure out what to do when some things start getting difficult. But so verse 1 Notice what it says. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. Man, that verse right there is huge when you understand what's happening right here. Jesus preached this sermon on a mountain for a reason. The Bible says he went up into a mountain for a reason. It says his disciples came with him on this mountain for a reason. The multitudes come to Jesus on this mountain. That's significant. That's important when you understand what is happening, when you understand what Jesus is doing as he is about to give this sermon. It says, and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, and I'm going to tell you right now, that I think what you're going to need to do, we're going to go through this, but I, I would encourage people to go back after you understand what this is and read this chapter again. Maybe listen to the sermon again after you learn where I'm going with this. But what we're about to see now are the Beatitudes, what people call the Beatitudes. And there isn't a pastor on earth that hasn't taught his church to follow these things, as we should. You better believe these things apply. And he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So, so far, so good, right? I mean, even... Even a dispensationalist would say, this is good for our dispensation right here. These things are true. We apply these. Uh, every pastor has probably preached a sermon just on each one of these Beatitudes at some point in their ministry. So let's keep reading verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out, to be trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. 
A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Every Baptist believes this as well. Every Baptist has taught this to the people in their church and applied that to them. But let's talk for a minute about who Jesus is talking to. Was he preaching to the Jews? Obviously he was, but so is the application for the Jews. Or was he preaching to the church? Because Jesus is getting people saved. He's trying to build his church. So are these church principles? And there's people that will argue over this, about whether this is Jew stuff, kingdom stuff, church stuff. And they always are trying to separate these things under the name of rightly dividing. But here's the question, you know, Here's another question too, because he's saying ye are the salt of the earth. He, you know, he's talking directly to these people. But let me ask you this: Were these people all saved? Okay, were these people all saved? Okay. Now, first off, let's look at the response to the end of this sermon, and this is huge too. Okay, I'm, I'm telling you, everybody's going to need to go back and listen to this message again after you know where I'm going with this. But Matthew 7:28 says, And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at His doctrine, for He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So this is the response that the Scripture shows us. The people are just astonished. Like, listen to how He taught. He taught as if He has authority. And guess what? He did have authority. We all understand who He was. They did not fully understand who He was at this time. And so I don't believe, and I, and either way it doesn't really matter, but I don't, I kind of doubt a majority of these people were believers. They didn't know what to think about what they heard. He definitely didn't have a multitude with him at the end of his ministry. But a key thing to understanding when studying this passage, it's not, it's, we shouldn't focus so much, and people do this all the time and it kind of irritates me, but we're always trying to figure out from a passage whether the people were saved or not. And many people will base an interpretation on the passage under the assumption of whether he's talking to save people or not. And if, if you do that, it's going to cause confusion, especially in the Gospels. To understand certain passages, people are, they're, they're always asking that question so they know what conclusion to come to. That will lead you to error in many cases if you do that. Here's what we've got to understand, okay? Let's think about interpretation, not application, Okay? absolutely we can apply everything that we read in the Sermon on the Mount to us. We should look at these things, practice these things for sure. But what we've got to understand, the people that Jesus was speaking to were the people of Israel. These are people under and in the Old Covenant. They were His people. They were supposed to listen to everything that He said to them. The Sermon on the Mount this sermon that he is preaching is not only a major fulfillment of prophecy, this is God keeping a promise that he gave to Israel back in the wilderness. This sermon is a major fulfillment of prophecy. This is God doing something for Israel that Israel asked him to do and that Israel wanted him to do. They don't realize it when it's happening, but that's exactly what we're seeing take place here. And, and so, we shouldn't think about these people as, well, were they saved or were they not saved? They were Israel. They were people under the Old Covenant. I'm sure there were some saved, and there was definitely some that were not saved. 
But these people under the old covenant, this is what they were supposed to do. And guess what? That kingdom was taken from them and given to another nation. We are that kingdom. We are that nation. And we, you better believe, as a church, a New Testament church, we ought to look at these things and say, you know what? We need to practice these things. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We are blessed when people revile us and do all these things. You better believe we can apply these things to us. No doubt about that. Everything in the Sermon on the Mount. But, uh, so the thing is, we're going to see though, these people, they were not ready to hear what Jesus had to say. They were not worthy to do these things and the kingdom was going to be taken from them and given to another nation. They couldn't handle this sermon that Jesus preached. They were not ready. They were not qualified. They could not do these things. And so the physical nation of Israel was not fit for the kingdom of God. Okay? And I'm sure there's probably people online that are going to listen to this. They're going to get triggered by this statement, but they need to actually pay attention and listen to the whole thing. And it is a fact. Israel was not fit for the kingdom of God. Okay? You say, well, you think you are fit for the kingdom of God? You better believe I'm fit for the kingdom of God. Why? Well, not because of my keeping of the law. You want to know why I'm fit for the kingdom of God? I will answer that in one word. Jesus. That's why. That is why. So the physical nation of Israel, they weren't fit. So here's what everybody's got to get a hold of. There is not one thing that Jesus said in this sermon that is not applicable to us today. There wasn't one Jew also who could claim to have done all of these things. They were too sinful in their performance of the law and the things of the temple could not make them worthy. It could, they, they could not be fit and made ready through their keeping of the law and the things of the temple. But also there isn't one of us here today that can attempt to pretend that we have done all these things based on our works. All of us are going to get nailed in this sermon somewhere. All of us are going to get nailed in this sermon somewhere, just like everybody in that multitude got nailed somewhere in this sermon. But again, we are fit, not because of the old covenant, the things of the law. We are fit because of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. He's sanctified us. He's cleansed us. And I shouldn't even need to preach that. But in some churches, you're going to have to. So in the kingdom of God, we are made worthy because of the blood of Christ. And so why is Jesus even telling these people all these things? Okay, and that's important. Why is Jesus preaching all these things to him? Why is he preaching something that's basically impossible? Well, this isn't the first time Jesus has preached an impossible sermon to these people on a mountain. This isn't the first time he's done it. You say, yeah, yeah, it is. No, it's not. This isn't the first time. He preached another sermon to them many, many years before that was also impossible for them to do. And they didn't learn the lesson they were supposed to learn from that sermon either. Just like they don't learn the sermon or the lesson from this sermon. Israel is actually getting an opportunity to make a better decision than one that their fathers made. We're seeing another repeat here of something that had happened in the past. So look at Jesus said in verse 17. He said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Jesus was here to fulfill things. He was the one that was going to get the job done. And we cannot emphasize enough that Jesus is where fulfillment of all things come from. 
where the dispense, this is the difference between us and dispensationalists, where the dispensationalists look for fulfillment, they look with the Jews. They're always saying, keep your eyes on Israel. We look for fulfillment in Jesus Christ. We believe fulfillment is in Christ. And so verse 19 says, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And I will refer you to Sunday night's message. Jesus just explained how to be a man of God in his kingdom. If you do and teach the least commandments, if you are an example that people can follow, you are preaching and living an example people can follow, you are a man of God. And so God cares about every detail of the law. God wasn't blowing smoke when he gave these things. Someone had to do them. They had to do them right. And Jesus is the one who did these things right. Nobody else. So verse 20, I say unto you, and watch this. This is where people start getting confused and start going into dispensational nonsense because they don't understand what's going on. Jesus said, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so now we're getting to the tough stuff for people. Okay, The dispensationalists, they'll preach verses 1 through 19 all day long. And you know that's all good. But all of a sudden here, this is, wow, man, it sounds like Jesus is preaching work salvation. It sounds like he's saying, yeah, if you want to go to the kingdom of heaven you got to do even better than the Pharisees. Okay? Is that what he's saying right here? Well, I mean, this is where your theological system is going to get put to the test. And I wish I had time to give all the different ways that I've heard people preach this, but let me just preach it the way it's supposed to be preached. Let me, let's give interpretation and then let's make application. Okay? Jesus just told them they needed to be better than the Pharisees to enter into the kingdom. Without a doubt, in these next passages, he's about them to, he's about to give them some commands that should have caused them to beg for mercy right there. And I don't know, I won't go as far, I don't, I don't know for sure if you can make a good argument that Jesus is raising the standard here. He could be. If he was, that's fine. Or if you could say he's clarifying the standard in these next verses. I think it's probably, it could, be, it, could, it could be both. But here's what we need to understand. If Jesus is raising the standard with these next commands He's going to give, okay? if He's raising the standard, if He's changing the standard, understand Jesus, especially at this moment, had every right to do just that according to the law. Acts 3.22, and we're going to go to where this was quoted from a little bit. But it says, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him shall ye hear, and all things what he shall say unto you. What did the Jews always say when they were following the law of Moses? They would say, we're following the law of Moses. We believe Moses. We follow Moses. We're under Moses' authority. Well, Moses said, when this prophet comes that the Lord raises, you listen to him. To listen to Jesus is to listen to Moses. To disobey Jesus is to disobey Moses. Jews of today are not following Moses. They are not following the law of Moses because they are not following Jesus Christ. And it says, And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Dispensationalists like to throw... They, they don't talk about this prophecy right here because it messes up their system. 
So whether Jesus raising the standard or clarifying the standard, they were 100% accountable for every word that he is speaking to them. And so let's go ahead and look at some of these verses and see where he's... This is where he gets into some tough stuff. He says, Ye have heard that it has been said of them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. Okay? And, you know, I think it's pretty safe to ask in here, all right? Who's never murdered anybody? You know, I, 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 think, I think we all got that one down, right? You know, we could, we could probably do that. Thou shalt not kill. Got that one. Let's check that one off my list. I, I've not broken that one. And whosoever kill, shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say that thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Anybody ever done any of that stuff? Okay, It's not confession time, but I'll bet you have. Okay, I'll, I'll bet you have. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come offer thy gift. Hey, he's saying being right with your brother, it's more important than these offerings that you bring to the altar. And it's stuff like this that the dispensationalist crowd will go and say, hey, this doesn't apply to us, because we don't bring gifts before the altar. And that's true, we don't bring gifts before the altar, but we can still make application, and God doesn't want us being, you know, having problems with our brothers. He wants us getting things right. For sure we can make application. He says, Agree with thine adversary quickly while thou while thou on the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. So again, do we think it's okay? That Jesus is okay today for us being angry with our brother without a cause because we're under grace? No, of course he doesn't want us doing that. He said, Ye have heard that it's been said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And this is another one that gets every man, unless you're some freak weirdo, you know, or something's wrong, something's wrong with you. But at the same time, are we going to make an argument that God doesn't care? about that stuff of course he cares about that stuff a holy god is not okay say well you know all all people struggle with that well yeah all are sinners and sin is offensive to a holy god and so we don't justify we shouldn't justify these things but we should be ashamed of ourselves we should be ashamed of our sinfulness and we should call on the lord for mercy you know what nobody should do when they read the sermon on the mount Nobody should walk away from the Sermon on the Mount and say, I've got all that covered. That's ridiculous. That's, that's ridiculous. But the Jews, they were so self-righteous, they could hear sermons like these and walk away thinking, I got that. Even the rich young ruler. Now, I've kept all the commandments from my youth up. And Jesus basically proved to him, no, you haven't. You've broken the biggest commandment because he told him, go sell everything you have and come follow me. But he loved his possessions and he went away sorrowful. You know why? Because he loved his money more than he loved God. He was a breaker of the greatest commandment. Think about that. And some people have taught, well, he, you know, that proves faithless works back then. No, Jesus was revealing to him that he was sinful too. Because he, that guy had the gall to think he was good enough for the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus proved to him that he wasn't. So, again, Jesus is showing something here. He, they are, when, when we see the law, it is supposed to bring conviction. It's supposed to cause us to call on the Lord. Verse 29, And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, 
and not thy whole body should be cast into hell. If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It has been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. And this, people try dancing around these things. I mean, you have the weird stuff too. People will, you know, Robert Breaker will use this to prove this is for the Jews. And in the tribulation, if you get that mark in your hand, you got to cut it off. Otherwise, you're not going to heaven. I, I, I just, I don't even know what to say to stuff like that. But no, folks, it's that serious. If sin, okay, is going to cause you to go to hell, and your hand or your right eye is what's causing you to sin, you would be better off cutting off your hand or plucking out your eye than going to hell. I take it literally. Okay? I, I take it literally. But again, all right, well, I guess I'm going to have to pluck my eye out and cut off my hand. Or you can call on the Lord. Or you can ask for mercy. Okay? Understand, Jesus is teaching them something here. The law was supposed to teach them that they were sinful and in need of a Savior. And the Bible spells this out for us. But again, because it's not specifically mentioned in this passage, people act like it's not there. But we have these things clarified in other places in the Scriptures. So verse 33 is, Again, ye have heard that it's been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but thou shalt perform unto the Lord thine oath. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, for thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be, yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Ye have heard that it's been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee. And from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard this been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. And I believe this is the exact same concept that he mentioned earlier. And when he says that ye may be the children, I don't believe he's saying this will make you become children. I, but I believe what he's saying is this will reveal that you are in fact, the children of God, if you do these things. Like when he said, let your light so shine before good men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Because notice how he says, he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. If only good people had sunshine come on them and rain come on them, we would know who is righteous by who's got good things going for them. But Jesus said, that's not how people are going to know you're righteous. They'll know you're righteous when you're doing things like loving your enemies. Okay? I would rather the Joel Osteen doctrine be true, you know, and that, you know, we'd all be rich and prosperous and, you know, wonderful things happening to us. But no, God's people sometimes get persecuted. God's people sometimes go through difficult times. But he said that if you'll do these things, then people, they will recognize that you are the children of God because circumstances, rain, sunshine, that, that isn't what determines who the children of God is. And he goes on to say, For if ye love them which love you, 
What reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And let me tell you something. No matter what way you want to use the word perfect in this verse, whether you mean perfection in sinless perfection or perfect and just complete or up to your full potential. Either way, it creates great problems for all of us because all of us could do better. All of us have done things that we didn't have to do. We could have done better than what we did. None of us can act like we have lived up to this. But folks, is anybody going to even try to tell me that any of these things don't apply to us today? That this was something that was just for the Jews? Obviously not. Yes, this is what Christ wants in his kingdom. This is what we should be shooting for. This is, <clears throat> we should make application for all of these things. So, what do we do with all this? <clears throat> well, the first thing, we need to understand, Jesus in this sermon is giving them something that as a nation they had specifically asked for. Something is happening again that had happened before but in a different way. Now turn over to Exodus chapter 19. We don't have time to read. There's a lot of scripture we could read through to understand exactly what's going on here. But let me just kind of hit a few highlights because this is, this is huge. It says, and Moses went up unto God. Now remember, Exodus 19 is right before Exodus chapter 20, which is where he gets the Ten Commandments. Keep that in mind. Moses went up unto God and the Lord called on him out of the mountain saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bare you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, hear that? If ye obey my voice and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for the earth is mine. And ye shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." And you know what? We're not going to go to Peter where Peter called us all these things. We won't do that right now, but I just want to throw it in there that Peter called us all these things. Okay? So just uh, put that in your pipe and smoke it, you know, dispensational people. Then you'll be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. Now, I submit to you that in many ways, what they said here, while it sounds really good, was actually a big mistake. Now, why is that? Because this answer that they gave showed a lack of knowledge of God. And that, and it was, it was a lack of knowledge of God that made them think they could obey God's holy law. For sure. Israel's problem was they did not know God. They did not know God as a people during this time. And so what we learn too, and we see this in the New Testament, uh, but God ended up giving them a law to teach them about Himself. God gave them a law. We talked about this, I think, uh, two weeks ago. On Sunday, God gave them the law to reveal His holiness and to reveal their sinfulness. You know why? Because they need to call on the Lord for salvation. They need to believe on Him in faith. 
And so God is going to give them a law. The fact that they're saying, whatever God wants us, whatever He says, we will do it. That showed a lack of knowledge on their part. And so God's going to teach them some things. So verse 9, And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people of the Lord. I submit to you, what we're seeing right here is God, Jesus, getting ready to preach the first Sermon on the Mount. The one we see in Matthew is another Sermon on the Mount. This is the first Sermon on the Mount. And watch this. And the Lord God said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow. And let them wash their clothes. God's getting ready to come on the mountain to preach. And God says, I want them to hear me when I preach. So you go tell these people to go sanctify themselves. Wash their clothes. Be ready in the, against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount, nor touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall surely be put to death. Now why won't God let them come up on the mount? You know why? You don't let... He's not... A holy God is not going to be in the presence of a sinful people in all His glory. God doesn't want to deal with it because He's holy and they can't handle it. And so God didn't let them come up on the mountain. Jump to verse 18. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount and Moses went up and the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze and many of them perish. And let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. God was just like, God was just coming down to give the law and He's like, you better tell those people, watch, I'm, gonna, I'm coming after them. You know why? Because they were sinful. They were rotten. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou chargest, saying, Set bounds about the mount to sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. And Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. And then the next chapters show us what God had spoken to Moses. And that's where we see the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses in the mountain. This is God giving a law. This is God giving instructions to His people on the mount. And, the, and when Jesus preached His Sermon on the Mount, this is God coming again. And He is giving instructions to His people. Now, let me show you some things. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. But jump to Exodus 24. Because again, in the next chapters, we kind of see a whole bunch of laws that God gives to Moses to give to the people. So in Exodus 24, 3, it says that Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has said, we will do. That sounds good, doesn't it? But folks, this is pure ignorance of their sinfulness and God's righteousness that caused them to say they could do these things. And folks, when they, when they were saying this here, this was, this was not the right answer. 
they were not truly looking at these things in the right way. These people, Hebrews talks about, or uh, 2 Corinthians talks about it, they made Moses, when he came down from the mountain, put a veil over his face. They couldn't even look at the guy who was in the presence of God. And yet, they were able to, when Moses came and he gives them that law, they're like, yeah, we can do that. You know why? Because they had a veil over their heart. And they still have a veil over their heart. And anyone who reads the law of God, anyone who studies the Bible and says, I can work my way to heaven, they've got a veil over their heart. They're missing the point. They don't know God. Anyone who thinks they can get to heaven by their own goodness does not know God. Anyone who thinks that they are going to go to heaven because they've repented of their sins does not know God. You've got to, you've got to lower the standards so much to teach repent of sins for salvation. And I say that to every Baptist. I say that to every Calvinist that teaches that stuff. You have to lower God's standards so much that you look like such a hypocrite in so many ways. Anyone who thinks that that is what you have to do to get to heaven does not know God. You do not understand His law. You are reading the Bible with a veil over your heart. And you need to turn to Christ. And if you turn to Christ... You know what? You'll see that sinfulness like you're supposed to. And you can call on Him and you can let Him give you mercy and save your soul. And He will do that for you in spite of your sinfulness. But you know what? If you're going to be like the Jews and keep that veil over your heart, you're going to think, yeah, I can do that. I repented of all my sins. I gave up my drinking. You know, I quit whatever. And therefore, I know I'm saved. No, you don't even know God. If you think that uh, you somehow perform some works and you know, prove your faith to God and He saved you because of that. But these, so, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18. So this was, this was pure ignorance of their sinfulness and God's righteousness that caused them to say they could do these things. And so let's go to Deuteronomy 18 because here's the thing that's interesting about this. In Exodus, it does not record these details, but in Deuteronomy 18, Moses refers back to this story and we see some more details about the story that is very interesting. That, and so Deuteronomy 18.15 says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren like unto me, unto him shall ye hearken. Watch this. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying... Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Neither let me see this great fire anymore that I die not. So when this, when this event happened where God came down on the mountain, it terrified the people of Israel. They told Moses, don't let that happen again. We don't want to hear the voice of God again. Now folks, let's just be honest. Who would thinks I would like to go back to that time and see God come down on the mountain and hear the voice of God? I think if you were there, you probably wouldn't. You know why? Because we're sinful too. You know, we're sinful too, and we don't even know what it's like to be in the presence of a holy God. I think if we were in the presence of a holy God, we'd be like Isaiah on our face saying, woe is me. So it, it, this was, while it seems like a spectacular event to us, it was a terrifying event for them. And they told Moses, don't let God do that again. And so, keep reading in, in verse 15, or um, verse 17. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise up unto them a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, 
and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. That is what Jesus is preaching at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is preaching all the things that God commanded him to preach to those people. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. That's another verse the dispensationalists want to leave out, even though the apostles preached about it, even though Stephen preached about it. And we'll look at Stephen preaching about it here in just a minute. But listen, they could not handle God and His glory on Mount Sinai. They, and, so, and understand, when God came down on Mount Sinai, when He came in that glory and that, and that mountain burned, when they literally heard the voice of God, not only did they not want to ever hear that again, but when God allowed Moses to go up to, so God could speak to him and Moses relays the message to these people, they're like, yeah, we can do that. They're like, we can do that, which was wrong. They couldn't do that. So then, here's what we're seeing here in Matthew chapter 5. God is fulfilling this prophecy. He's fulfilling this promise He gave to them. And He sends them that prophet like unto Moses. And Jesus, He is made a little lower than the angels. He takes on Him the seed of Abraham. And He comes on a mountain. And this time, He lets the people come up. They were able to handle physically being in the presence of Jesus Christ. Same person. I'm going to show you. Same person that was on, on Mount Sinai. But He has lowered Himself. He has come down to them so He can speak these words to them. He speaks in a voice that they can handle. He speaks in a way that they can, they, they can handle. And He gives them all the things that God told them. This is exactly what was prophesied back in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And so Jesus spoke with authority in the Sermon on the Mount because He was the same God that melted Mount Sinai in the past. He's just made Himself a little lower than the angels. This is exactly what Israel wanted. This is exactly what was prophesied. And so now turn over to Acts chapter 7. I want to show you a very important allegory that's in the Scriptures that I didn't make it up. Now, Stephen doesn't use the word allegory like Paul did in Galatians chapter 4. But without a doubt, this is an allegory that I stole from Stephen. Okay? I stole this allegory from Stephen, so it's legit. I didn't just come up with it to fit my theology. I stole it. Okay? Acts 7.20 In which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them but they understood not. I submit to you, when Moses kills the Egyptian and says that, and he, um, and basically believing that they would, uh, his brethren would understand how he was going to deliver them. Notice how too it says, for the next day uh, he showed himself to them as they strove, and would have set them at one again, saying, "Sirs, ye are brethren. Why do you wrong one another?" But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying. Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Then fled Moses at the saying, was a stranger land of Midian, where he begat two sons. This, first, this was this, uh, the first rejection of Moses. 
when Moses tried to be a lawgiver among his brethren, they thrust him from him. That's what they did. And that is also a picture of um, Israel's first rejection of Jesus not 2,000 years ago. Okay? I've heard dispensationalists claim that just like the children of Israel thrust Moses away and then 40 years later Moses came back as a deliverer, Israel, they rejected God in the first century, but one of these days Jesus is coming back as a deliverer and He's going to deliver him this time. Wrong. Okay, wrong. All right, if we're going to use allegories, let's use it the way the Bible uses them. Right here, when they thrust Moses away as a lawgiver, that was a picture of them rejecting Jesus as lawgiver on Mount Sinai. And then, just like Moses came back 40 years later as a deliverer, Jesus, he's returned, Jesus at his Sermon on the Mount. This is him coming as deliverer. And they rejected him then too. Israel rejecting Jesus in the first century, that was them also rejecting Christ when He came as a deliverer. And you know what God said? If they do, I'll require it of them. And God required it of them. And they were destroyed in 70 AD. So let's keep reading. Just more proof. And when 40 years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord and a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight. And as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and durst not behold. Then said the Lord to him, Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and am come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send thee into Egypt. Watch this. This Moses whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared unto him in a bush. Okay? So the same Moses that they originally rejected, that same Moses came back as a deliverer. Keep reading. He brought them out after he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt in the Red Sea and in the wilderness forty years. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren. Like unto me, him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness, which with the angel which spake to him in Mount Sinai, and with our fathers who received the lively oracles given unto us, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them. Do you all see that? This is He that was with the church in the wilderness. That's talking about Jesus. Jesus was with the church in the wilderness. Jesus was with the church in the wilderness. And just like Israel had originally thrust away Moses, and then that same Moses came back 40 years later as a deliverer, this Jesus whom ye crucified, He came, He is the one that was rejected by our fathers, by the church in the wilderness, this same Jesus has come back. And folks, He came as a deliverer in the first century. He came as a deliverer. And Acts 3 spells that out for us. Jesus came and understand the coming of Christ in the first century, that was Israel's second rejection of Christ. And everybody's teaching, no, they rejected Him the first time, but they're going to accept Him the second time. They already had their second time. The second time already came. He already came as a deliverer. 
He came as a deliverer when he died on the cross to pay for their sins. And what did they do? What did they, what did they, and then notice what it says in verse 40. It says, and saying unto Aaron, make us gods to go before us, for as for this Moses which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. And so this was their second rejection of Moses. And let me tell you, they had a second rejection of Christ. Just like Israel. It says, and they made calves in those days. This is the second time. This is when Moses has come as a deliverer. Moses came as a deliverer. He brings them out of Egypt. But what do they do? They make a golden calf. They still don't have faith. Then, then turn, God, God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets, O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrificed them by the space of forty years in the wilderness? Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Remphan, figures which ye made to worship them, and I will carry you away unto Babylon. So what did they, what did they do? Because they went and they broke Moses, that law of Moses. They did not keep that law of Moses like they said they would. They rejected Moses. They made a golden calf. And you know what? Eventually, as a nation, they got delivered into Babylon. That's what ended up happening to them. And understand, the Jews, they rejected Christ when He came as a deliverer. And you know what they did? They went after false gods. You know what they did? They took up the star of their god, Remphan. They just called it the star of David. Is what they called it. They did the exact same thing that their fathers did with Moses. Moses got rejected twice. And you know what happened to that generation too? They died in the wilderness. And even as a nation, they got carried away into Babylon because of that second rejection. And because of this second rejection of Christ, understand, they were destroyed. God destroyed Israel as a result of it. So understand that Israel rejected Moses as a lawgiver and they rejected him as a deliverer. They did not obey the law of Moses. And that generation died in the wilderness. But you know what? What about all the promises of God? Hey, that generation died in the wilderness, but you know what? A remnant made it through. A remnant made it through. Israel as a nation rejected Jesus the lawgiver in the wilderness and they rejected Jesus the deliverer at the Sermon on the Mount. But you know what? A remnant made it. A remnant believed. There were those who did believe. The Sermon on the Mount, without a doubt, is a redo for Israel. Israel should have confessed their inability to obey the law on that day. When they heard Jesus preach that message, you know what they should have said? They should have said the same thing that the apostles said. Remember when the Judaizers tried to te- uh, say you got to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses to be saved? And what did those guys say? Our fathers never kept the law. Why, you know, if, why would we command these Gentiles to keep the law when none of us were ever able to keep the law? They had figured it out by that point. The saved ones had figured that out in Acts. And so when those Judaizers came along, they shut that stuff down immediately. You know what they should have, you know what Israel should have done when they heard that Sermon on the Mount? They should have said to Jesus, we can't do that. They should have said, we've already messed that up. Jesus, our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Like was stated back in Isaiah. We, we, we have, we have no hope by the law. We need you to deliver us. That's what they, that's what they should have done on that day, but that's not what they did. You know why? Because they still didn't know God. They still didn't know Him. They didn't know God 
by the law. But you know what? Thankfully, God spoke to Israel by His Son, Jesus Christ. He died on the cross, was buried, and He rose again. And you know what? After that, the apostles, they preached the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection. They, they preached the revealed Jesus Christ. God spoke to the world by His Son. And we do see thousands of Jews getting saved after that. We do see that. God did save a remnant of Israel. And so what people need to do today, we need to teach the law. We need to show people what the law says. Not so we can look and say, I can do that. So people will look and see, I can't do that. But then we can show them, but you know what? Yeah, I know you can't do that law, but guess what? There is a deliverer. There was atonement made for your sins. His name is Jesus Christ. You need to believe on Him. You need to trust in Him. That's what we're all about. That's what we've been preaching. That's what the law is supposed to do. And just because the fact we can't keep the law, that doesn't give us an excuse to say, oh, well, who cares? We're not even worried about it. No, we're going to try to, as, as people who are in that kingdom of God, we want to teach each other and admonish each other. Hey, let's do these things. Let's do the best we can. But thankfully, if we mess up somewhere, and we will mess up somewhere, we're not canceled out from serving God. We can still go forward because the blood of Christ cleanses us from all our sins, but we've got to admit that we cannot do these things on our own. We must call on the Lord for salvation. And Israel that day, they should have called on Christ. Israel as a nation, they should have wept. They should have, they should have rent their clothes. They should have thrown ashes on their head. They should have said, we can't do this. Save us. That's what they should have said that day. And you know what? He would have saved them. He, he would have saved them. You know, and he did. The deliverer came when he died on the cross and when he rose again. And so that generation that rejected, it was required of them. That nation was destroyed. You say, what about the ones today? It's all fake today. Judaism, Israel's gone. Physical Israel's gone. The temple's gone. Uh, The people, there isn't a covenant people out there. There's just a false religion imitating old Judaism. It's a poor imitation, by the way. It's a poor imitation. And all of them, all of them, 100% of them need to get saved just like the rest of us. There's no special blessing coming for them. There's no special salvation coming for them. None of that. That is false. That is a lying, false doctrine that is sending Jews to hell. And I'm 100% against it. The deliverer already came. And so with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for uh, this wonderful chapter. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to apply these principles in our life that we learn from it. But Lord, we do thank you that even though none of us can uh, look at this sermon and say we've done all these things, we're thankful for your blood that cleanses us. Uh, we're thankful that you have made us fit. You have made us worthy uh, because of uh, your merit, not because of our merit. And so I pray you'll help us to continue spreading this message as many as we can. In your name we pray. Amen.